0: Hello, and welcome to You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First and foremost, I apologize for the late episode. Second of all, yesterday, May 30th, was the one-year anniversary of the show. I mean, it took me an entire month to come out with a second episode after that, but still. <laughs> the fact that I'm speaking to any of you right now is incredible. You guys are I spoke into the wrong side of the mic for like the first 3 episodes and you guys still came back. Some of you have genuinely been with me since day 1. And just recently I heard from one of you and I am so sorry. I cannot for the life of me remember who it was, but I just heard from someone who said that they listened from the first episode and they were anticipating because it was the O'Male Swamp tour and it was part 1 and part 2 and they were anticipating part two coming out and I was like I thought only family and friends listened during that first episode and it wasn't it was like some of you are just stuck with me and I'm sorry I'm just rambling I'm really tired I had a really long two days at work and I'm just so uh, I'm like overwhelmed by how amazingly like just how amazing this past year has been basically it's all because of you guys. It's all because of everyone who is listening right now. And I seriously, like, I, I can't tell you enough how grateful I am for all of you for being here. And now I'm getting emotional. Oh my God. (laughs) Let's move on. You guys didn't come here to listen to me cry anyway. So, but as a one year anniversary gift to all of you, this episode is ad free. (laughs) So you don't need to, all the skippers, You know, give your thumbs a rest because you don't need to skip anything. This week is filled with some very mischievous characters indeed, some out for revenge, some being led astray, and some just straight up evil. Before we begin, I just wanted to say a quick hello to all of my listeners who are currently working the night shift. I've heard from quite a few of you lately, and I'm so glad I can help you pass the time. I hope work goes by quickly, and I hope you all got some good sleep in during the day. Let's start off tonight's episode with a little revenge story, told from a point of view we don't often get. Vanessa Kennedy sent us that great haunted house story from a couple weeks ago, and she's back with a ghostly monologue. You honestly thought you could get rid of me that easily, eh? (laughs) Well, it wasn't that easy for you, was it? First, you had to plan it all and... That by itself is an accomplishment. (laughs) Who would think that someone like you could have done what you did? Then you had to make sure everything was in place and went off without a hitch. And from what I've seen... It did. My corpse is proof of that. You honestly thought you could go on living and pretend I never existed. And for those few moments I do exist, I died in a tragic accident. But we both know that isn't the truth. It was no accident. Well, you go on, enjoying life. But let me remind you that a little thing like death won't be stopping me, honey. Yes, you did just see that. The door did open by itself. Yes, blame it on the glass in your hand. It is good to know that some things haven't changed. Oh, what was that? Are you hallucinating? Or did you just see... Your dead wife, standing in the doorway. Yes, another drink will definitely make it all go away. No, it won't. Nothing will make me go away. Not even death, do us part, will save you. (laughs) Oh, what do we have here? Is that a new tucked-in shirt? Does someone have a date? <laughs> does she know what you did? And does she know that I'm still here? <laughs> well, she is a far cry from the tall bottles you usually bring home. She is actually a tall glass of water in a pretty pink dress. How refreshing for you. But did you forget that I am still here? <clears throat> Well, let me give you a little reminder, shall we? Don't mind me. It is still my house, after all. I don't really care about the trollop at the table, and I don't really care about you, but I'm just bored. Who knew how much time you have once you're dead? Don't worry, I won't cause too much mischief. Just enough to cause a little... Mayhem? <laughs> Mayhem. Don't you know that this is a fire hazard? Leaving pots simmering on an open flame? What if, I don't know, somehow the heat got turned up? Oops. <laughs> there goes dinner. <laughs> don't worry. It is salvageable if you act quickly. Hmm. What now? Oh, you picked up a klutz. Oh no, she just spilled wine all over her dress. She knows where the bathroom is? It will take more than that to get that stain out, sweetie. Oh, she's also a snoop. It is no secret that he uses head and shoulder shampoo and uses Old Spice, and he keeps the cleaning supplies under the sink. What will you do... If the door got stuck, eh? Oh yes, banging on it will definitely make it open. Good idea to call him, he is as useful as a bull in a china shop. Interesting approach, dimwit. A running start? What are you gonna do, knock down the door? (laughs) Told ya, that wasn't going to work. But as much as I have enjoyed this, I will let her out. You know, there was an easier way to do that, right? All you had to do was say please. Blame it on sticky hinges. Good idea. Don't even brandish the thought that your dead wife is causing the problems. Oh, did you have another nightmare? Well, there's no one else to blame but yourself for that. (laughs) Well, you could blame me for part of it. I did put those memories in your head. You could also blame me for the cold sweat that is running down your body. You can blame me for the beating heart that is echoing in your ears. You can blame me for the memories that are consuming your dreams. Those dreams filled with the gushing blood that splattered the walls and slowly drips down. Those dreams filled with the inability to wash the blood off your hands, which is true. Where do you think you're going? Oh, a drink, of course. No glass this time. Let me help you. Come on, you can't even drink properly now. That is a nice combination on your shirt, rye and sweat. Don't leave it on the ground, you know better than that. Now that I'm gone, you think you can do whatever you want. Wrong. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. It isn't my fault that you saw me in the mirror. Now you did it. You hit your back into the towel rack. Oh, that will most likely leave a nasty bruise. Maybe you won't even remember what happened. You'll blame it on an open bottle of rye that is now seeping into our bedroom carpet. Or the lack of sleep. What? (laughs) Leave you alone? (laughs) Never. What do you need to do? Well, first off, you shouldn't have murdered me. Speaking of me, am I still here? Somewhere... in this house? Or did you plan that too? How to dispose of a body? That, I would think, would be the tricky part. Good boy, off to bed. Now that you have had your bottle, you can go back to dreamland. Sweet dreams! (laughs) <laughs> do you remember when we used to take showers together those were the days and thanks to you you'll never ever have that again well so to speak can you still feel my touch do you know that i am here with you how about i tell you i am here Shall we? Why are you so afraid? Before you thought it was romantic how I drew notes in the steam. You weren't even a believer when I was alive, so why would you be now? Gripping your head won't make the memories go away, trust me. I've tried to get the memory of your murderous glare out of my head. The memory of my blood slithering and spurting out from my open wounds is something that is hard to forget. You remember right. You were there. How the blood pooled on the ground. How it squished and popped under your boots. Oh, that is a little bit of blood. How do you like showering in blood? That got the heart going, didn't it? Don't worry. The water is fine. You can blame it on the corroding copper pipes. Oh, be careful, the floor is slippery. Told you that you should always put a towel down. I don't really care if you're alright or not. As long as you aren't dead, I don't care. If you die, well, who else is there for me to torment? Where are we going? The last time we did this, one of us never came back. What do we have here? A suitcase. Are you running away? Honey, you can't run away from your problems. Easy, keep your eyes on the road. Don't mind me playing with the radio. God, you used to hate this part of the road. No radio signal. we go. Wasn't this the song that was playing when we took our little trip? Jeez, if you didn't like the song, all you had to do was say turn it off. You still haven't told me where we are going. I'm having deja vu. I asked you last time and once again, you didn't answer me. You aren't going anywhere until you ANSWER me! Hey. Where do you think you're going? The engine is fine. Why do I even bother? Don't you love this song? Hey, that is enough of that. Swearing at me won't get the results you want. There. There you go. It works. Stop fiddling with the radio. One of these days, you're going to break it, and you aren't shutting off my song. Now, do you believe me? No, you aren't going crazy. Well, no, you aren't crazy. You're just haunted. Um, there is a law against that. Don't do that. Well, I can't stop you from drinking, but I can maybe switch what you are drinking. That wasn't (coughs) rye. Was it? Isn't the scenery beautiful? The trees and the fields. Now, the broken glass on the highway. You are like a child when things don't go your way. You throw a tantrum. Is that... Is that what happened that night? Did I do something that made you go on your murderous rampage? Was murdering me the only option? You could have divorced me, you know. What happened? What happened to the lovely man that I married? I know you were still in there somewhere. But you aren't the same person anymore. Neither am I. You made sure of that. Now, you are a Murderer. And I, well, a ghost. I know that you still remember that night. I know that you couldn't stop shaking afterward as the adrenaline washed out of your system, as my blank eyes stared up at you from the floor. All at once that anger you had melted away, and I was gone. But... I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> story is by Reddit user Terrifying Tales, and it's called My Imaginary Friend. I can't remember when she first appeared. I can only remember what she looked like. She was a dark tan that glimmered in the sun like diamonds. Her hair curled while each individual strand held a color of the rainbow. Her wings were like that of a golden pegasus, soft to the touch but could easily lift her high into the skies above. She always wore these dresses like you'd see back in the old Wild West. Always brown though, which contrasted with her otherwise, otherworldly appearance. I never knew why, and she'd never talk about it, but it was unnerving, to say the least. The thing is, her hair wasn't real. It was a wig from my dress-up collection, as were her wings. I gave her the wig to hide her tangled, dirty blonde hair the wings to hide the scars, still bleeding upon her back. I can't remember when she first appeared, but I know I invited her in. She told me her name was Elizabeth, her last name she herself couldn't remember. My home had been built upon her father's land, rousing her from a deep, dark slumber. As soon as she saw me, she decided that she had to come play. Me being young and naive, said yes. I wasn't aware that stranger danger was such a big deal. I was five years old at the time. The games we'd play always hurt me, but she was older, so I didn't question it. When my mom found me, Carving into my skin, she was terrified. Knocking the knife from my grip, making me lose the game. I screamed and cried, yelling that I lost the game and it was all her fault. I started seeing this woman after that. She gave me some disgusting candies, but they helped me. I didn't see Elizabeth after that until I was 21 years old. I remember what happened, and I know she did it. I came home from college to start my summer break, deciding to take online courses so I could stay with my family. My parents were getting older, and I I wanted to be there for them more. I wanted to make memories with them as my childhood memories had become... fuzzy. My My therapist said that It was my brain trying to protect itself, deciding it was better to forget than to remember. My parents agreed and said this summer we'd do all sorts of fun things, creating new memories that I'd surely remember. I walked through the doorway, smiling and expecting to be immediately tackled to the ground by Buster, my black lab. But that quickly faded. As I smelt copper, walking down the hall, the air became rancid. The smell, rotten and stale. The sound of flies buzzing came from everywhere, but the kitchen was the worst. My parents sat at the table, breakfast from weeks. Moldy and spoiled, but that would be no use to them, as their heads tilted back towards me. Their throats had been slit open, splattering blood everywhere. I fell down upon the floor, and I cried, unable to look away. I heard the growl of Buster turning towards him, Just as he seemed to recognize me, he scampered at me like a little puppy, my arms wrapping around him as I broke down completely. We mourned my parents before we called the cops, though they were of no help at all. They found no evidence of anyone having been there. Several months later, deciding it was a cold case, there were no leads. Nothing. But how would a ghost leave evidence? I can remember seeing her. I remember her face. I was up in my bedroom, clearing out my stuff, when I looked out the stained glass window above my bed. I had always been too small to look out it before, but now that I was older, I could see out it Clearly. Through the light blue hue, I saw her, waving at me, while grinning, ominously. She knew this house had sold to a nice family with four children. It was written across the smug, grim of hers. I wasn't going to let this happen to anyone else, I couldn't. I left and bought fifty gallons of gasoline, dousing the whole house, leaving nothing untouched. I changed my clothes and used the clothes soaked in gasoline to light the house, throwing them onto the front porch. Soon the house was ablaze, smoke billowing everywhere. I left before the fire department came, the rental car I had and my neighbors not being home, leaving my crime untraceable to me. The police decided it must have been whoever killed my parents. There was evidence they had missed, so they wanted to destroy everything just in case. I claimed the insurance money and moved across the states to upstate New York, thinking the worst was behind me. That was until a lady approached me, telling me she knew of Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a demon. I wasn't the first to experience her games and love of death. Her dress was brown from the dried blood of her own parents. All those she had come to sharing that fate as well. I decided to take her up on the offer, joining the support group for survivors. I can't remember when I wrote this, but I know she's still here. Elizabeth is still out there, still pretending to be an imaginary friend. Please, get help should your child tell you that they see her. Don't wait until she hurts them. I pray that you won't suffer like I did, but I'm sure I won't be her last victim. You may not believe me. But this is your choice. Your fault if you don't listen. You may not believe. But you will. Oh, you will. Our next story is by Al Bruno who brought us the disturbing Pimple Popper story, as well as the one that triggered my claustrophobia. He promised this one is sure to win back the favor of those who couldn't make it through either of the other two. This one is called In Memory Alone. 1992. Are you just going to sulk or do you want to dance? She stood before him with her hand outstretched. It was the homecoming dance, and Andy had spent most of it standing against the wall, trying to work up the nerve to do something, anything, but as always, the sickening certainty that lived in his gut that told him he simply didn't belong anywhere sabotaged him. But wasn't it true? He was too plain for the cool kids, too dumb for the smart kids, and too timid for the troublemakers. He walked through the halls like a phantom. Even the teachers had trouble remembering his name. Now, here it was, senior year, and he had nothing to show for it. Not a single one of those glorious high school memories every adult and movie had promised. Andy's father had suggested he go stag to the homecoming to at least try and mingle. And Andy had tried, but two failed conversations later he found himself fading into the background again, becoming as inconspicuous as ever. But he had been conspicuous to one person. It was June Kofner, of all people. The girl as well known for her long bouts in detention as she was for her rejection of the overtures of the cool kids, the smart kids, and even the troublemakers. She had no time for any of them. So of course they all hated her. Despite that, or... More likely because of that, she always came to the school events and made snide comments about everything she saw to whoever might be listening. Now, here she was, standing before him with her hand outstretched, asking, "'Are you just going to sulk, or do you want to dance?' No one noticed them as they made their way out onto the floor. When the dance was over, she kissed him on the cheek and whispered in his ear, "'Not bad.' 2017. It was a modest-sized ballroom in a medium-sized hotel. Middle-aged people dressed in crisp clothes, milled about, all hugs, smiles, and handshakes. The open bar was seeing a lot of action. The buffet, not so much. It was River High School's Class of 1993 reunion, and everyone was goggling over the changes 25 years had brought on. Andy Carter stood near the back of the room, watching it all hoping he would catch someone's eye but unable to make the first move it was like old times again andy knew he was a fool to think that june Kofner would ever be here but he'd had to take the chance his memories of her were the only thing that kept him going anymore but all andy could do now was occupy himself by watching his classmates and taking note of who had gotten fat who had gotten thin who had gotten rich, and who had gotten weird. Over by the bar, David Reed was strutting around with his hair plugs and trophy wife. Several someones were talking loudly about politics. Terry Smith was holding court at her table, wearing a dress that was three inches too short and two sizes too small. Someone nearby was trying to sell Amway. As a joke, the alumni had invited the sour-faced vice principal to the event, and amazingly, he'd shown up. He was almost 80 years old but still the most recognizable person in the room for a moment andy was sure he had seen mr martinoli notice him but no the old man had just been watching the clock all these faces some familiar some rendered unrecognizable by years or botox all of them overwhelmed with nostalgia or longing andy felt nothing at the sight of them They were almost strangers. Did any of them even remember him? Really remember him? There was a half-abandoned drink on a nearby table. Andy had half a mind to grab it and fling it into the Welcome Back banner. What would the alumni do then? 1992. The Kaufner family was a large one with a reputation for petty crimes and poorly thought-out scams. Even among them, June stood out, with her black dyed hair and seemingly endless supply of Bikini Kill t-shirts. She never went where they went. She never did what they did. When her younger brother had been arrested for arson, she was the only member of the clan that hadn't shown up in court to show their support. Was that why she was so aloof and distant from the other students at River High School? Andy didn't care. There had only been one dance, but it had created a strange bond between them. When they passed in the hall, she always made eye contact and flashed a little smile. There were brief conversations in study hall about music and homework. Sometimes she would tell him stories, like about how her cousin worked at a convenience store across the street from the school, so she never got carded buying cigarettes or beer, or about how she knew how to sneak into movie theaters via a broken fire door. They never spoke on the phone or met outside of school, but... For Andy, it was enough. He was sure she felt the same way. 2017 When the buffet closed, the DJ began to play old songs from the old days. People began to filter onto the dance floor. Lost love sharing slow dances while their spouses glared from the sidelines. Former friends trying to show each other that they still had the moves. Andy wished he could have joined them, but it was too late for that. He had never lived in the moment he spent too much of high school with his nose pressed in a book in expectation of college then he did the same thing in college in expectation of a career he made partner at his law firm when he was in his 20s as expected and then along came a heart attack at 41 and in truth he had expected that as well the only thing he had never expected aside from that dance at the homecoming was what happened on a Saturday morning six weeks before graduation. 1993 At 17, Andy still had his paper route. It was easy money if you were organized and reliable. That was something Andy had always been. The money Andy made was socked away in a bank account for when he went to law school. It was something he'd been doing since he was 13 years old. Andy's paper route had covered the same set of streets for years, but he had never known that June lived in one of them. He found out on a chilly May morning, almost an hour before sunrise. Andy was straddling his bicycle and trying to jam a copy of the Sunday Times into an undersized mailbox, when a Cadillac sped past him and squealed to a halt in front of a non-subscriber's home. June got out of the car. She was wearing a waitress uniform. Andy realized she must be working nights at some diner somewhere. It certainly explained all the time she'd come to school looking haggard and gone on to fall asleep in class, and it certainly made more sense than the lurid rumors his classmates spread about how she must be spending her nights. After a few words from June to the driver, the car sped away, leaving her standing under a streetlight and fumbling with her house keys. Andy slowly rode past her on his bike, more than content to give her a cheery good morning and be on his way. But June didn't let him move on. She wanted to talk. And talk. And that was fine by him. She remarked on what a funny thing it was for her to never see him peddling his papers. That was just the way she had said it. Peddling his papers. And Andy had thought it was hysterical. He asked June which restaurant she worked at, but she wouldn't say. And just moved the topic of conversation along as to why she was working nights. The answer was no surprise, really. She wanted out of this town, out of this life. June vowed that soon as she graduated, she was gone, living in River City under the weight of her family's reputation and other people's expectations was suffocating her. She told Andy that she was sure if she was somewhere else, that she could be someone else. Someone else, June told him, is what she'd always wanted to be. Andy thought it was the saddest thing he'd ever heard. The morning got colder as it got brighter, so she invited him in for breakfast. She warned him that all she had to offer was soda and Pop-Tarts, but that was fine. The kitchen table was cluttered and the little house was empty. June told him that her father had skipped out years ago. Her mother was staying at a friend's house and her brother wouldn't be eligible for parole for five more years. It got lonely sometimes, but she assured him that There were far worse things than coming home to an empty house. They were so busy talking that their Pop-Tarts got cold and their sodas went flat. She shared stories of the kinds of trouble her relatives had gotten into over the years. Andy tried to share stories of his own, but his family was small, devout, and well-behaved. They mused over who might have pulled the fire alarm during the talent show, and Andy said he thought it was her because she had been absent for two weeks shortly afterward. June thought that was hysterical and told him she had been hospitalized for a burst appendix. She laughingly moved her uniform aside to show him her scar, then dared him to touch it. Andy did. And just like that, neither of them was laughing anymore. Then Andy did the craziest thing he had ever done in his life. He kissed her. She kissed him back pulling him closer and before Andy knew it. They were in her bed, pulling at each other's clothes. He was excited and terrified. She was tender and patient. After it was over, they lay together on her bed, arms around each other, eyes closed, not sleeping, just waiting for that inevitable moment when they knew they would have to get dressed and move on with the day. When it finally happened... Neither of them spoke a word. They both knew this, like their homecoming dance, would never happen again. 2017 2 a.m., and the party had broken up. The last of the stragglers had been ushered out of the ballroom, either to the suites they had reserved, the taxis they had waiting, or, in one case, the back of a police car. Only Andy remained behind. Watching the hotel staff pack away the tables and sweep the floors, he felt sick with disappointment. It hadn't been easy to get here. In fact, it had been more of a struggle than he could have ever anticipated. And it had all been for nothing. Andy watched as the hotel staff took down the class of 1992 banner. Then they moved on to the bulletin board that held pictures of all the people that couldn't or hadn't cared to attend the event. A special section of that same board was reserved for the ones who could never be there. Classmates that had been lost to war, misfortune, and disease. Among them was June Kaufner, who had passed away less than a year after graduation. There was also a grainy photo of Andy Carter, lost to a heart attack at 41. Not a single one of his classmates had mentioned him tonight. He would have known if they had The dead always know Andy considered what lay ahead of him now And how terrible it was to have gone unnoticed By eternity itself Suddenly There was a voice Wry and familiar Are you just going to sulk Or do you want to dance She stood before him with her hand outstretched No one noticed them As they made their way Out onto the floor. Our last story seemed fitting to leave you with as you drift off to sleep. This is Confessions of a Dreamer by Arot Siv La. I'm not sure when I realized that everyone's dreams weren't like mine. I can always recall regaling my siblings and later my friends with detailed and vivid memories of my dreams. My dreams were rarely patchy, but a full story, usually with a beginning, middle, and an end. I've always experienced reoccurring dreams featuring the same characters, somewhere beyond any of my waking experiences. I had heard that some people don't dream in color or that some people don't remember their dreams. I couldn't fathom either of those types of dreams. Mine were all too real. My dreams were too big to wake up and forget. They usually frightened my young mind with concepts that I could not fully understand, as if demanding my attention. It seemed my dreams were trying to tell me something important. Even when I shut my eyes and tried very hard not to listen, I started to realize that my dreams were something other than random combinations of leftover thoughts and stories. I would also dream snippets of conversations that would happen to my friends and classmates that I was not privy to, but would dream the details of. Sometimes I would dream about events and they would happen just as they had in my dreams, prophetic dreams are a thing. My dreams began to come true. At first it was cool, but later it started to creep people out. I stopped speaking about it. I didn't like how people regarded me when I shared things I learned from my dreams. At best, as an imaginative or troubled girl. At worst, as an odd little freak. As a matter of fact, I stopped talking about a lot of things. I became a very introspective child, but still my dreaming ability progressed. As I mentioned, my dreams were often bizarre and sometimes frightening. As a child, I developed chronic insomnia. I dreaded sleeping every night, and I had the eye bags and lethargy associated with someone who wasn't sleeping enough. It was around my sixth birthday when I realized that I had agency over myself and my dreams. It was empowering. Not long after that, I learned I could control entire dreams. That was liberating. My dreams were no longer epic, terrifying nighttime experiences. The next stage of development would change my life. It would be a few years later quite by accident when I realized I could actually go into the dreams of others and shape them into whatever my heart desired. When I was in the fourth grade, there were two girls named Reina in my class. Their names were pronounced the same, but they were as different as night and day. One was a well-mannered animated girl with a big forehead and a sleek ponytail. This was my best friend, Raina S. She wore purple nearly every day, and we both ran for the swings every day at recess and loved to read scary stories. The other Raina, Raina H. Raina H was a full year older than the rest of us. She had been held back a year. Raina H was a big, overdeveloped bully with muscular quads, real breasts before any of us were even wearing training bras. Oh, and she had these nasty scabs on her knees. In comparison, I was a rather quiet girl. Always one of the smaller girls I kept to myself, did my work, and didn't seek attention one way or another. Most people rather ignored me, which was fine, but Raina H. took a very strong disliking to me. I honestly had no idea why, but I tried very hard to stay out of her way. It was a bleak spring morning when a note was passed to me right before lunch. It was unexpected, because I really only had one friend, and Raina S. did not pass notes. She was from a strict religious family, and it would have been considered disrespectful to the teacher and the other students to pass notes during class. So when I opened it, and read the dark, scrawling pencil lead that looked as if a six-year-old had written it, stunned would not accurately describe what I felt. The note read, Recess, bitch. I'm gone to kick your ass, and it was all misspelled. I looked up, and Reina H. was grimacing at me, eyes filled with hate. It seemed my classmates knew what was going on, too. As we ate lunch, I kept feeling like I was going to be sick. I couldn't swallow my food, my mouth was dry, and I wasn't imagining everyone looking at me and whispering. When I stepped onto the playground, the other kids formed a circle around us, chanting, Fight! fight i remember stammering in a weak voice why do you want to fight me reina i never did anything to you she spat because you're stuck up you think you're cute i hate your ass you think you're better than other people a force seemed to radiate through me before i knew it she was on the ground everything was a blur and i was on autopilot But I distinctly remember enjoying the feeling of my foot crashing into the softness of her belly as she squirmed on the floor, crumpled in a sideways fetal position. Relentlessly compelled by the sound of her grunts, I slammed my foot deeper into her sides and chest. I stomped any exposed area, including her face. I remember some adults pulling me off of her, and Raina H. holding her mouth. She sobbed, being led to the nurse's office with a bloody mouth and multiple footprints and dirt on her torn t-shirt. I found myself in the principal's office explaining. Raina H. had apparently said that I started the fight with her. For some reason, she even dragged Raina S. into her lie and said she was only defending herself against us. It was known that I wasn't the troublemaker, but our parents were still called and the next day i learned that reina s was no longer allowed to play with me to top it all off all everyone talked about was the fight telling me details that i didn't recall about my triumph as the tough kid they hummed the tune from rocky whenever i walked by i got respect and notoriety from my classmates even the fifth graders were talking about the fight but i was uncomfortable with the attention i didn't want a reputation as a fighter I didn't want any extra eyes on me, I didn't want my best friend taken away from me, and I certainly didn't want that long lecture I received from my parents that night, and I really didn't want a warning if they ever get called at work for my behavior again. I hadn't done anything… yet. The crashing realization that someone who targeted you could change your world on just a mean whim bothered me, night and day. My life was different now. Not all bad, but who was she to have this much power over my life? I minded my business, and I was a good kid. I left everybody alone. I really had no idea how much my life was going to change, and the catalyst that Raina H. had put into motion. I had a very hard time falling asleep that night. When I did sleep, I felt like I was falling into a cavern. I knew this meant that night I would dreamwalk. I was happily surprised when I found myself standing over Raina Harrison. I was in her dream. She slept in a messy bed, fully clothed with a bright blaring TV on in the background. I noticed her knees dotted with partially covered scabs of brown and pink. The pink looked like blisters and the brown looked like boils. She began to stir in her sleep and began picking at them. I focused on her horrible, knobby, scabby knees. Her ugly, dry, and dirty knees. They disgusted me. I hated them. She disgusted me, this hateful, horrible, mean, stupid bully. A detestable and malicious bitch of a girl. I had never allowed myself to feel such unbridled feeling of anger toward any human being. That was just it. She was almost not human to me, but a monster. I watched her knees as they began expanding rapidly before my eyes and beneath her hands. I watched as her eyes opened suddenly and grew wide with fear. The pus-filled tentacles began extending from her knees. She was crying, softly at first. It was then that she noticed me and her screams turned to panic-filled terror. How can this be happening? Her eyes begged. I covered her mouth mercilessly and felt her screams vibrating into my palms. I was stronger in this realm. My world, no rules. I whispered through a menacing smile. Be quiet, Reyna. This is happening. Nobody can help you. I paused to enjoy her anguish. As I could see her situation sinking in, I continued unhesitantly. No teachers, no lies, no hope. You started it, I am finishing it. I am turning you into this. Her eyes looked down at her limbs distending. I loved stifling her desperate cries and the flow of her pain-filled tears. Teasingly, with mock pity, I continued. Aw, I know it hurts. I want it to. Time moves differently in dreams. I have no idea how long this went on. I stopped when I bored of the familiar feeling of her squirming beneath my touch again. When I woke up in my bed, I felt refreshed, renewed, as if I'd slept for a hundred years. The next day was a sunny Friday, and Raina H. was not in school. She was back on Monday. Wearing long pants, and walking with a pronounced limp, and a newfound sense of humility and barely stifled trepidation that pleased me. That was 15 years ago, and my ability to dreamwalk has grown, morphed, shifted. The insights that I have garnered have saved me a literal lifetime. As I've said, time is different there. If you had ever had a dream and it felt like you experienced years in the span of minutes, then you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Time and space are constructs designed to suit our physical functioning. Would you believe me if I told you that I have been able to send dreams to my past and future selves? Yes, it has been a learning curve, not without trial and error. As it turns out, this domain is for the bold but prudent. This is a fairly rare combination of things to be. But as it turns out, I am that rare breed. This is not something to be trifled with. People have been known to get trapped or tricked into staying here. Overall, it has served me well. You would be foolish to think that this, or any power, comes without a price. And it is far more valuable than money. The price is an aegis over a human spirit. Sort of an interdimensional, quid pro quo. I can do things in their world. They can do things in our world through my spirit. And it turns out the physical realm in which we exist is very valuable real estate, with rights and privileges that most humans don't access. I may share more of my experiences yet. Until then, don't disparage a dreamer. They may, in fact, be dreaming of you. Thanks for listening. In fact, thanks for listening for a whole year. For all your emails and DMs and fan art and fan Starbucks drinks and support and patience and stories. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Good night. Get some sleep and sweet dreams.